Sony. Hello, Canada. Today's date is July 7th, 2021. Welcome to a full edition of Canadian Common Sense. 45 minutes of unfiltered and unscripted and for the time being uncensored commentary on Canada's issues. It's Tony in Saskatchewan. And Lewis out here in BC, where we are getting a small reprieve from the heat. Yeah, here too. Um, it's still in the high 20s today, and it's going to go into the low 30s for the weekend, but that's certainly better than the low 40s and the mid the high 40s that you had. Yeah, yeah, we're uh, we're actually sitting at right around 25 degrees right now, and we're getting some rain, so it's uh, it's a good a good. Oh, that is a nice reprieve. Yeah, yeah, excellent. All right, well, Canada. Before we get going on the show tonight, just as a programming note, a lot of podcasts in general, but especially political podcasts in Canada, often take a break for the summer. For example, the CPAC podcasts only operate when, or produce shows, I should say, when Parliament is sitting. Canadian Common Sense, we don't do that. We will be here for you all summer, bringing you fresh shows, news from the day, and not just quote-unquote best of. Now, that said, on the show tonight, Trudeau clears the runway for election 44. Want to get rich quick? Better get close to Justin Trudeau. And Canada on fire, both literally and figuratively. Where do you want to start, good sir? Well, let's uh, let's start with the with the big news from yesterday, and that was the new Governor General. Well, absolutely, yes. Um, so we do have a new Governor General. Uh, her name is Mary Simon. Now she's got actually a pretty good resume. I'm all in all happy with her as a pick. Now she is originally from northern Quebec. She is an Inuit lady. She is fluent in English and in Nuktitut, but not in French, and we'll get to that one in a few minutes. She was one of the lead negotiators in setting up the Arctic Council of Nations. Now, that is, I believe there's eight countries that all border the Arctic Circle. And she was a lawyer. She was a surprise buddy. She was a CBC journalist. And also, she was a, I can't remember if she was a fellow of the Trickle Foundation, but at any rate, she worked with the Trickle Foundation. Yeah. So, now you did break up there, so I didn't quite hear if you mentioned that she was also the ambassador to Denmark. I did not, but that's uh, good that you brought that up. Yeah, she was the ambassador to Denmark under Jean Chrétien. So, um, right off the top, uh, I I approve of this appointment. Uh, I think she's... um, you know, I mean, it's not, she's not uh, of the, let's say, uh, constitutional caliber of, say, a David Johnston, but not many are. Um, I, as I said, I've said many times, I think David Johnston is the best governor general I think Canada's ever had. Uh, he's a constitutional, uh, like, specialist. I mean, that's, that's what he um, 
focused his entire career on was the constitution. So in constitutional law. So uh, I, I, th- I think she's a good pick. Um, the problem I have with this is the same thing I have, the same problem I have with anybody that Justin Trudeau appoints to something. And that is they have personal ties to the liberal party or to Justin Trudeau himself. And, and she does. And that is the thing that I have a problem with. It just seems like if you want to, if it, it's like Justin Trudeau can't do anything without enriching his friends. Yeah. Well, exactly right. And as you'd pointed out, I me, mean, she's obviously at least a 30 year liberal because she was, you know, um, part of Jean Chrétien's crew of ambassadors. And she, she has a bio from her is in the Trudeau foundation and, the words justice were part of her bio, and that, that of course, bothered me because the, the, those words social justice actually get me triggered. Um, but actually, it bothers me that she doesn't speak French, and I realize that she's not the first governor general who doesn't speak French or didn't speak French, but shouldn't she? Oh, I think, I think so. I mean, French is one of the two official languages of the country. I mean, it makes sense that she should be able to speak French, but honestly, I mean, she said she's committed to learning French um, and that she is going to begin um, lessons immediately. Uh, that is easier said than done for someone in their seventies. Uh, it's very difficult to learn another language at that point in your life. It's very difficult in your 20s or 30s to start learning a new language but uh in your 70s that's a that's a a tall task oh for sure it is yep i mean i uh i think that i started to learn spanish in my earlier 40s and yeah it was it was tough i mean i'm you know pushing 50 and i'm still not fluent so yeah i mean i i i learned i i began learning french when i was six uh by taking my all my schooling in French immersion right up until grade 12 and uh, I uh, uh, it's been a while since I spoke French fluently uh, but it's and, and it's a bit rough but <laughs> I mean it was tough as a kid to learn another language I, I just can't imagine what it would be like for someone in their 70s to try and learn a third language yeah exactly so uh, no all the power to her and Honestly, I'm just glad we have somebody in that chair now. So best of luck to you, Miss Simon. And I I hope you take the job seriously, at least much more seriously than your predecessor. Yeah, and you know what? Judging from her uh her from her career or multiple careers and from her uh her resume, I, I think she will take it seriously. And and I don't think she's gonna take this job lightly. Um and, uh, but I do, I do think that the, one of the first duties she's going to have is to, uh, dissolve parliament, but we'll get to that. Yeah, actually, why don't we get to that one right now? Um, Justin Trudeau has certainly established that he's interested in an election. The Liberal Party's campaign platform was basically telegraphed in the final days of the the sitting of the House of Commons. Um, David Lametti appointed four judges 
in one day last week. All four came from the Liberal Party of Canada donors list. And why is this news? Maybe you can tell me, Lewis. But it was news that Justin Trudeau shaved his beard. That tells us he's ready for an election. What? Yeah, I don't, I don't understand that because um, I'll be quite honest. I think that the beard makes him look more mature, more more prime ministerial than uh, than his baby face. I, I just think that I, I I don't. I mean, I from what I've heard, the ladies love it too. So I don't know. I, I don't know why he would. <laughs> why I don't know why that signals an election, but you know maybe they're right. I mean, we. I, I am. I am predicting an election, and yeah. I know you are. And I think Absolutely. that it's gonna. I think the election is going to take place probably in the latter half of September. I think that makes sense. And the first thing I thought when they said he shaved his beard is I remember in, in the 2015 campaign when Peter Mansbridge was grilling Tom Mulcair with hard questions. And one of those tough questions was, when was the last time we had a prime minister with a beard? I thought, darn, now nobody can ask Justin that question. <laughs> well, see, and Justin's so stupid, I don't think he'd know the answer. <laughs> True, yes. The dates because there's municipal elections coming up in Quebec November 7th on October or October in Alberta on October 15th. So they're going to want to get the federal vote out of the way definitely before October. So I think that your prediction for a second half of September is probably bang on. Well, and I think that the reason they're going to want to do it then is just because uh, the people in those provinces are going to have election burnout by the time, uh, like if they had like an early December election or something, right? They're going to they're just going to be totally burned out with with election talk because they'll have had their their own elections in the provinces there and. Uh, for for the municipal elections, but it's um so I think yeah I think it's got to happen before those and uh, uh, the the liberals I gotta be honest I'm kind of I'm kind of surprised that that they're going to let you know Bill C ten die. Um, you know, I kind of thought that they might come back long enough to make sure that it gets past the Senate. But, hey, I'm I'm happy if it dies. Oh, as am I. And especially Bill C-36, which was the, uh, the online harms and so much more, Bill. Gilbo actually had referred to a media guide for people in the media, journalists, if we can even use that term nowadays. Um, to help them spot, quote, disinformation. And I thought, the government is telling you how to spot disinformation? That that tells me I don't want anything to do with C-36. So like you, I am going to be very happy if they choose to, to go to a vote before the House sits again. Yeah, and Bill C-36, I mean, that... 
Bill C-10 is bad enough. Bill C-36 is like six or seven notches above that. And it's it's so scary that I've got friends in the United States who have heard about uh, Bill C-10 and Bill C-36. And they're messaging me saying, what is going on in your country? And I've got to try and explain to them how we don't have, you know, a First Amendment. We don't have that freedom of speech that they've got. And they don't understand it. They don't know how to wrap their head around that. And it's, but, but the thing is, is that most people don't understand is that the United States is one of the only countries in the world that has true free speech. Because Canada doesn't have it. Well, when we have freedom of expression in the charter, but you're right. I mean, it doesn't explicitly talk about freedom of speech. I mean, I think it's been implied, but but yeah, we don't. We have no First Amendment. We have no constitutional right to say whatever the, the hell we want. Which is why yeah, you had pointed out, I think, two episodes ago, that if Bill C thirty six were to pass, like the Canadian common sense shuts down the day that bill becomes law and that's the day that i leave facebook and any other online presence yeah exactly like if bill c36 passes tony and i have already decided we'll be shutting the podcast down um and it's not because we uh don't want to keep you know bringing canadian common sense to you uh quite the opposite we're just neither of us can afford the fines that that they would be that would likely levy against us and uh, sorry go ahead oh i was just say especially with such a low threshold to uh to be yeah. brought before a human rights tribunal yeah we talked about it and, it, and it, you don't even have to have said anything to actually offend anybody you just the 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 offended party just has to claim that they're worried you're going to say something offensive. And that it, it's like that, uh, uh, that movie with Tom Cruise, the minority report where, you know, they predict crimes and then arrest you for them um, without you ever having committed any crimes. And it's, and that's exactly what bill C 36 presents. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, yeah, so I'm happy to watch it die. And I'm surprised that the the dumbest party name in all of Canadian history, the Maverick Party, is now suggesting they may run partying in Western Canada. They allegedly have uh, electoral associations set up in all ridings in Alberta and Saskatchewan. And they are, quote, well on their way in British Columbia and Manitoba, whatever that's supposed to mean. But I think that uh, that Jay Hill must see Aaron O'Toole as the very weak leader that he is, and maybe he smells blood. Or maybe he just listens to Canadian Common Sense and heard our criticism of him and saying that they're not a serious party if they're only going to run members in uh, or candidates in, in ridings that the Conservatives don't have a chance of losing. Yeah, that's possible, yeah. Because, I mean, let's let's be real. They're not a serious party. The name isn't serious. The, the fact that they only, we're only going to run a few candidates 
and only in ridings that the Conservatives could not possibly lose. Um, it just proved that they that they they're not a serious party. So maybe they're maybe they're deciding that they're uh, going to become a serious party. Yeah, maybe. And uh, well, I guess best of luck to them. Yeah, because right. honestly, honestly, I mean, I I agree with much of what they of what they stand for. And and if they are to become a serious party, uh, I may not be politically homeless for very much longer. Well, that's a good point because I mean there are a lot of people who would regularly vote for the conservatives who just can't stomach Aaron O'Toole. So uh, yeah, yeah, I certainly, I, I, I personally, I, I, I certainly can't stand where Aaron O'Toole has taken the party. It's, uh, it's, it's almost left of center now. Oh, it's shameful. Yeah. All right. Now, speaking of left of center, Justin Trudeau has a habit of rewarding his friends, as you had pointed out with uh, our new governor general, Mary Simon. And um, I guess we should point out too, that she is the first uh, governor general of first nations ascent. So uh, that another, another good move that way. But I thought the list is getting so long of Justin Trudeau and those close to him striking it rich in Canada that I almost wish I was his friend. Now we've got SNC-Lavalin. Everybody knows the main SNC-Lavalin scandal. Most people know about the $150 million sole source contract to build COVID field hospitals that nobody asked for. And did anybody even use any, Lewis? No. They sure did not, but boy, did we get our money's worth for that $150 million. 150 million and we only got three. Yeah, see? Lots, so much bang for the buck. Yeah. <laughs> and we know about the We Charity, and that story is ongoing. Lewis, you were absolutely apoplectic about Frank Bayless, who was, for our listeners out there, a former Montreal MP, Liberal Party of Canada, of course, who was awarded a PPE contract, sole source, even though his company was only incorporated six days before being given the contract. And Lewis, do you remember how much money that we gave him for producing zero pieces of PPE? I believe it was $253 million. As a matter of fact, it was. Well, again, money well spent on somebody connected to Justin Trudeau. Yeah, and, and not only that, there were other. Uh, there was an, I, I believe there was another company that received a uh, a contract, and then they declared bankruptcy. Uh, oh, how so convenient! They, yeah, they don't have to pay back any of the money because they declared bankruptcy, and uh, we the Canadian government got nothing for it. Um, SNC Lavalin got that sole sourced contract after being found you know guilty of uh of corruption and, right. and 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 it's just unbelievable like that and i've said this i i don't know how many times i have said this this is the most corrupt government in canadian history there is no arguments about that not you cannot tell me this is not the most corrupt government in Canadian history. It absolutely is. And it doesn't matter what they do. 
no matter how many scandals stack up, no matter how many people get rich who know, who have personal ties to Justin Trudeau, no matter what happens, no matter how many personal misconducts that Justin Trudeau is guilty of, they absolutely right. To, they they continue to get support. Yep. And what do we say so often on this show? But there's more. In 2019, and this comes from Michelle Simpson, who was form, was a former seatmate of Justin Trudeau when they were in opposition. She pointed out on the Roy Green show a couple of weeks ago that 97 percent. This is 2019. 97 percent of Liberal Party caucus billed you and I, the taxpayer, for office expenses for personal use. What personal use, Tony? Well, they hired a company called Data Sciences Incorporated, which just happens to be owned by a personal friend of Justin Trudeau, for quote-unquote digital campaign operations in the field of voter identification and bringing out the vote. Why are you and I paying for that when that's party research? Yeah, that's, uh, that's not right. Yeah, and then 97% of their caucus took advantage of you and I, the taxpayer, for campaign work. And, of course, enriched one of Justin's friends. Wow. It never ends. It just never bloody well ends. It doesn't end ever. I mean, it's just one thing after another. And he's not even trying to hide it anymore. I mean, he's doing it right out in the open. And, And it's like, it's... I, I, I'm just blown away by how liberal voters are not offended by this, how they are not turned off by this. I mean, he is playing you for fools. And I, and I talk to them as if they're listening to this show, but they wouldn't because they don't <laughs> have any common sense. But the, 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 Trudeau and the Liberal government are playing Liberal voters for fools. I mean, they—they—they're like I said, they're not even hiding it anymore. They're just blatantly and openly enriching their friends um, and appointing judges that are all party donators. I mean, there's got to be a better way to appoint judges in this country. There just has to be. There's got to be a better way to do much of what is done in this country where it isn't party bias that gets you there. I sure wish there was. And we'll we'll dovetail on that because there's a few seats uh, in the Senate that are open right now waiting for appointment. And with an election coming, I am really concerned that Justin Trudeau is going to be feverishly trying to find liberal connected senators that he can appoint. And so far, the, there is a two Senate seats in Alberta that have not been uh, appointed yet. I really hope that Mr. Trudeau doesn't get around to it so that Alberta can hold its Senate elections and then at very least, you know, nominate the, the, the two elected members to, you know, be turned down, but at least they'll be able to have the election. Yeah. I, I'm just, the Senate is something that 
you you know is you, you know very well that I I'm a huge proponent of having an elected Senate with an equal number of seats per province. And Absolutely. I'm just because because honestly, the Senate sometimes is the only thing that's going to be standing between us and tyranny because that's what C36 is and it's the only thing that can stop it from happening aside from an election is the Senate. And if the Senate is being uh, you know just loaded up with with uh, liberal friends then there's nobody standing in the way well and and your point was proven actually when bill c10 and c36 came up were you know brought to the senate just before everybody broke for summer and thankfully pamela wallen and then one of the actually uh liberal appointed senators spoke up and said no we're not going to do this and uh i can't remember the gentleman's name now but he was originally appointed as a liberal senator and he said bill c36 is basically an atrocity and should never be passed uh he said ne- it needed a, a dagger to the heart or, or something to that effect and a stake through the heart stake through the heart that was it and i thought great i mean that's you're right that's what the senate is for and if trudeau continues to stack it with his own people then we're in big trouble i mean i'm all for an elected senate like you like you i can't wait yeah i mean it'll never happen but it it needs to happen it's it's that and that and that was an idea brought up brought in by the uh, uh reform party which like we've talked about before there isn't a single policy that the Reform Party stood for that's left in this uh, Conservative Party of Canada. And, yeah. uh, and, and if there was ever a policy that needed to be held over from the Reform Party, it was that one. And it, and it wasn't. It was one of the things that actually got the axe pretty early. Yeah. Now, see, Justin Trudeau, in a way, he kind of did himself in with the Senate when he declared that that no liberals would be or no more partisans would be in the Senate because, and we talked about this a couple of years ago on the show, how they divided off into different groups. There was the Canada caucus and there was the whatever caucus and the, the old bingo dabber caucus and the Friday night drinking caucus and whatever. They broke, broke off into a few different Senate groups anyway. And... Now that actually came back to bite Justin Trudeau because he couldn't just tell them all, hey, rubber stamp that for me, would you? Yeah, exactly. So, uh, but I mean, I mean, they are the thing is, is that they are mostly liberal friendlies, but oh, no, no doubt. Yeah. But at least they're not actual party members anymore. And they don't, they're not, you know, at least, at least they can be, uh, they have to they have to vote with their conscience and they don't have to vote with the party line and that may be one of the best things trudeau ever did um i just you know hope that it actually works in the canadian in canadians favor yeah i mean I'm, like you i'm not entirely confident that it will but yeah we can hope <laughs> yeah 
All right, so we'll get on to our, our, our last topic for the show, and that is that Canada is on fire right now. And last week it was literally on fire. I mean, we had a record heat wave blowing through Western Canada and forest fires in the British Columbia interior, forest fires across all of our north. And what's worse, Catholic churches being set on fire all over the West and being vandalized and... Not just that, Canada was on fire in a figurative way as well. I mean, uh, first we'll talk about the, the literal scent. Um, Lytton, British Columbia, in the Fraser Valley, was broke three days in a row, broke uh, a record for the hottest temperature in Canadian history. And then shortly after that, the town itself burned in a forest fire. Yeah. And, uh, and I believe there were two people who lost their lives in that. Oh no! Um, but the and ninety percent of the buildings in the town burnt down. Um, they say they want to rebuild every, so that's good. Um, but uh, I don't know if it's possible or how long that'll take. But uh, it's uh, it's a sad it's a sad story. Um, they don't still don't quite know what caused the fire. They believe that it may have actually been a train. Um, that the brakes on the train overheated and and sparked the fire. Um, that's that's the best guess right now. There are reports that a train was going through there with one of the cars uh, with lots of smoke coming off of it. So it there's there seems to be some um, legitimacy to that uh, to that theory. And uh, I just hope they figure out what it was and that they get that fixed. Um, the uh, yeah, we here in in BC we actually we had really hot temperatures last week. A week ago today, it was 47 degrees in my town here in the Okanagan. Um, it was nearly 50, I think it was nearly 51 degrees in lit when that fire uh, started. Um, there's been, uh, like we said, lots and lots of forest fires. We are nearly triple the amount of uh uh, forests burned that we normally would have by this point in the year. Uh, it's, <sighs> I'm going to say, you know, people act like this is like every single time we have forest fires, people act like it's the first time we've ever had forest fires. Um, fires, forest fires is just a way, it's just part of life in BC. Um, it happens every year worse than others depending on how dry it is compared to how wet it is and uh, and depending on what time of the year we get rain because if we get lots of rain in the spring it's actually not a good thing because it promotes growth of the uh, of, of uh, bushes and grass and trees and everything 
you get a lot more growth because of a lot of rain in the spring and then by the time the summer rolls around and it, and it gets hot and dry here which happens every year uh you get more forest fires um the t- when we need to get a lot of rain is in june which is actually the wettest month of the year for the okanagan uh this year we just didn't get any rain in june we got a, we got um it's actually been a pretty dry year overall so the forests were dry they were ripe for the pickings and it happened we got lots of fires um what we didn't expect were churches to be burned down um and this is all supposedly in response to the unmarked graves found in Kamloops and other places um I'm, I've, I said on this show and I continue to say that the original culprit was, uh, was First Nations. I believe the first culprit was most likely white, uh, doing this on behalf or how they, they felt they were doing it on behalf of the natives, uh, because, White liberals think that they need that that they need to uh, you know take offense for other people and get revenge for other people. Uh, you see that with Antifa as well. Um, and then we've had a slew of other churches getting burnt down across across Western Canada. And, and uh, not all not all churches either. No. No, and the thing is, is that the original churches that were burned down were all Catholic churches, and they were on Indian reserves. That is not the case anymore. They're just burning down churches, period. And uh, uh, it's 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 a messy situation. A couple of days before the end of school, I know one of the teachers at my son's school came out. Or came went around to every single classroom and told all the students that churches are genocidal institutions. I mean, there's just a lot of hatred going on right now. Uh, we've got, you know, even even residential school survivors are asking people not to burn down the churches. Yeah, so. That's up what I wanted to get to as well, because there was uh, a church north of Edmonton in a town called Mournville, which uh, is only about a half hour from where I grew up. And the Catholic Church got burned down in Mournville, and there was uh, the Alexander First Nation, which is about 10 or 15 miles to the west of Mournville. The citizens, almost immediately on the reserve, were tweeting to each other, and uh, some of these went viral, which is how I I found I read about them. And they were saying, okay, we need to get get into Morinville. We need to get some round dancers out here. We need to get some, some, some food, have a little festival to show people that we support them. And so I thought, okay, so if the person who had burned the church in Morinville was First Nations, do you really think that people on the reserve would be jumping up and asking what they could do to get out there and help people in town? I don't think so. So I'm right on your woke white liberal train, my friend. Yeah, and 
and that, and since we're talking about fire and burning and woke liberals, it's exactly what's happening to our country figuratively. Absolutely. I mean, this country is on fire right now. And I don't mean literally, I mean figuratively. We're on fire, just like the U.S. Don't think we're better than the U.S. because we're not. We are in just as much trouble as the U.S. is. The, the like people in Canada, we, we are on a hate train. I mean, everybody is on a is on a team, and we hate the other team. Everybody's doing it, and right, left. But let's be real: the real hatred and the real intolerance, the real racism, is all coming from the left, and. I mean, you're seeing hatred from the from the right too. Don't get me wrong; I see it. I admit that it's there. But most of it, I will say, is in response to what we have coming from the left right now. But even so, most of the hatred and the and the the vitriol that's being spewed in this country right now is coming from the left, and it and it's. These woke liberals who, who you know, if you don't conform, if you don't comply, then you, then then you're a racist or a sexist or a homophobe or a transphobe or whatever phobe you can come up with, and it's it's eating away at this country. I mean, we are the most divided I have ever seen. And I lived through a the nineteen ninety five referendum in Quebec that we that, that Canada almost lost. It was like half a percent. We almost divided. We're more divided now than we were then. Oh, absolutely! And if you don't believe that it's uh, that it's largely the left that's doing this. Google or YouTube or whatever search engine you use, the video of the Vancouver church being vandalized, there was two or three women with their yoga pants on throwing orange paint onto a, to a church in Vancouver. And I could almost hear them saying, oh, look at me, we're, we're, being, we're doing a protest. Look at how woke we are. And there was a church in Calgary that got vandalized because some woke white liberal decided that was the white, the right thing to do. And it was a Vietnamese church. And this comment from the pastor really bugged me when he told the reporter, I, I feel like I would be safer as a Christian in Vietnam than in Canada. I thought communist Vietnam, it would be a safer place to be a Christian where they actually officially ban religion. Yeah, that's scary. It is. And, of course, there's more. There was a awful attack in London, Ontario last month where a piece of human garbage ran over a, a family just out for a walk. And it was instantly labeled a hate crime, and rightfully so. 
and there was every politician who could possibly get onto a bus or a plane made their way to London so they could make a campaign-style speech talking about how hate has to stop and Jagmeet Singh called us a racist country. And then just a week or two ago, another vehicle attack where a Toronto police officer was mowed down, who happened to be a white guy, and the person who mowed him down had a very Arabic-sounding name, but that wasn't labeled a hate crime. And in fact, it took Justin Trudeau almost a whole week before he actually condemned the attack and, and you know, strongly condemned it by saying his condolences were with the family. Wow, Mr. Trudeau, maybe you're breeding some of this. There's statues getting torn down all over the place. There's red paint being thrown on statues, on, on church doors, and Canada Day being cancelled. And... Our leaders, our police officers, are standing by and watching. So no wonder we're so divided because we don't have any goddamn leadership in this country. No, we don't. Not from any of the parties. No. And, and I mean, on top of it, we, we've got uh, Toronto renaming streets. We've got, you know, uh, buildings having the... For the name of the first prime minister of this country, Johnny McDonald, taking taken off of it. We've got universities that are changing their names. We've got uh, we've got uh, buildings. We've got streets. We've got um, statues. We've got all of these things are being torn down, and it's it's wrong absolutely wrong and it's tearing this country apart because suddenly you can't have any faults if you have any faults at all then your name is mud i mean dundas street in toronto i mean he's not directly tied to anything bad is indirectly tied to um, was it residential schools? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah, but indirectly, like he was like uh, a friend of someone who ran a school or something like that. He wasn't. He 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 wasn't even directly tied to the schools, but they're changing the name of the street. They're getting rid of Dundas Street. Yeah, I'd heard that, and there was a Johnny McDonald High School in Calgary whose name was changed. We have, right here in my own city in Saskatoon, we have a Johnny McDonald Road, and I actually just heard yesterday that that name is going to be changed to what I have no idea, and we can't erase our history, and, and actually... Uh, chief Cadmus DeLorme, who is the chief of the Cowessis First Nation, where they uh, had found a potentially 700 plus uh, unmarked graves, uh, even he said, none of us alive today started residential schools. None of us alive today implemented the Indian Act. He says, we all inherited it and we have to accept it and move forward and deal with it. He's not suggesting Terry not Johnny McDonald's name off of anything. But again, like you said a couple of minutes ago, these woke white liberals seem to think they have to be offended on behalf of these these poor Indians who don't know any better. Well, guess what? Our First Nations do know better. And 
They just want us to to get join with them and get the healing process going. They actually just want reconciliation. Yeah, and for these white liberals to assume that First Nations aren't intelligent enough or understand that they should be offended, that is racist. Absolutely it is. More so than any other thing that that most conservatives are being accused of being racist for. I mean, we... Just for saying that I think people should be judged on their character and not on their skin color makes me a racist. I guess it makes Martin Luther King a racist too. Yeah, exactly. And it's... It's, it's sad. I mean, you have said on this show last year, year and a half ago, maybe, you had said you predicted Canada would not be the same within five years. And you were right, but it only took a year. Well, I what I predicted was that Canada wouldn't be Canada anymore in five years. And I actually, right. and I think what I explained was that I actually thought the country would be torn apart and then that we, we, we would be at least two different countries within five years and we're well on our way. Well, the country um, is being torn apart. Yeah. And if Trudeau wins the next election, which both you and I think he will, um, this country is going to be torn apart. You are going to have a major separatist movement in this in, in Western Canada. I mean, it's. I think people are still reluctant to join the separatist movement because they think the conservatives are their best chance to get confederation back on track. But if if Trudeau wins again after everything he has done over the past six years, I, I think. I think your people are fed up. I mean, I talk to people all the time who are completely fed up. The problem is we've got an unserious separatist party with an unserious name and people are going to have a hard time getting on board with that, to be quite honest. But it's, but I think that a real separatist movement is is about to take off, and if the and if this election goes the way you and I think it will, there will be a, a very very real separatist movement and possibly a, a a very serious separatist party in Western Canada. Yep, absolutely. And uh, I mean to go back with our Canada on fire analogy. I mean, we are one election away from that spark becoming a full-on prairie fire and it will spread through through bc as well i mean bc was the heart of reform country back when the reform party started and i could see a lot of people in the interior in northern british columbia jumping on board again oh absolutely i mean you you and i've said this before on this show i think that british columbia is should actually be two different provinces i i, I don't I, I don't think that anything that the that the lower mainland, which is Vancouver, the Greater Vancouver area, and Vancouver Island, they have nothing in common with the rest of this province. Nothing. 
absolutely nothing. And in fact, uh, our what's best for the rest of the province, Vancouver and Victoria hate. And everything that they propose is bad for the rest of the province. And, and it's and I just I just think that you're going to see this province, if there is a major separatist movement, you're going to see this province just divide. Yep, I can see that. So there we go, Canada. We will leave you on that uh, depressing note. And on, and I guess let me just conclude by saying that Lewis and I want to be wrong. And Lewis has said many times on the show, we started this show because we love our country and we want it fixed. But it's getting to the point where it's getting harder and harder and harder to fix it because not enough of us want to. Yeah, that, and that's a good way of putting it. Not enough of us want to. All right, well, we'll let you chew on that, Canada. Sorry to leave you on a sour note, as we almost always do. So uh, until next time, it's Tony here in Saskatchewan. And Lewis out here in BC. Good night. Good night, Canada. Good night.